Looking for a sparkling clean bathroom without so much hassle? Wet and Forget Weekly Shower Cleaner is here to revolutionize your cleaning future. Just spray today, rinse tomorrow, and voila! Enjoy a sparkling clean shower and tub without any scrubbing. It's the secret to a hassle-free clean bathroom that many are discovering. With over 33,000 five-star reviews, Wet and Forget Weekly Shower Cleaner has proven its effectiveness on shower glass, fixtures, tiles, and more, ensuring everything shines with minimal effort. This product has gained a loyal following thanks to its once-a-week application that makes it a standout in the cleaning aisle. Join the ranks of satisfied users who enjoy more me time and less clean time with Wet and Forget Weekly Shower Cleaner, available at Amazon, Lowe's, Menards, Home Depot, and Ace Hardware. It's the perfect choice for anyone wanting to simplify their cleaning routine. Don't miss out on a chance to transform your bathroom cleaning with just one application a week. Pick up a bottle of Wet and Forget Weekly Shower Cleaner today and join the thousands who've already made the switch to Effortless Clean. I love fast cars, but there aren't a ton of high-performance TVs. They're certainly out here, there, but when I, when I get a chance to get behind the wheel of one, it's, I love it. And I was blown away by the Kia EV6 GT. When you get behind the wheel of the Kia, it, it is literally like being in a state-of-the-art rocket ship, but also comfortable. The thing goes from zero to 60 in 3.4 seconds. It is the premium driving experience. And of course, it's an EV. So the climate thanks you. SiriusXM provides access to over 165 channels in the vehicle. Music, sports, news, comedy, yacht rock. Let's go. Little, little steely Dan going in your Kia. Come on now. So check it out today. It is the all-electric Kia EV6 GT. I had a blast checking it out. Believe me, you should do it yourself via kia.com slash EV6. To learn more, that is kia.com slash EV6. Kia, movement that inspires. Rain, we're both wearing hats. You got kind of a fishing, what would you call it? Is your podcast about hats? Oh, so they didn't tell you. Oh, they didn't tell me. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Literally Rain Wilson. Rain Wilson. It doesn't get more iconic than the beloved Dwight Schrute, but he's so much more than that. He's an amalgam of many different things. He's not just a comedy icon, as you're about to see when it starts to rain. <laughs> see what I did? How have you been? I, I love you. You're the best. Um, Thanks. Good to see you. So you're one of my favorite funny men in the world, but you're also a great dramatic actor. Oh, you're very kind. I need to tell you how much I loved Backstrom, by the way. Oh, thanks. Yeah. You were you and 17 other people watched that, and I really appreciate that. I, if only I'd been a Nielsen family. I know. Because, dude, I think Nielsen families represent 500,000 people. I think that's the way it's broken down. At least it works. Wow. That's the way they do it. Wow. That's, that's incredible. Well, it's interesting because Backstrom, for those of you who don't know, was a... 13-episode uh, arc I did on Fox as a disgruntled, alcoholic, uh, self-hating police detective who was also brilliant at solving crimes, mm -hmm. of course. And we got canceled after the 13 because our ratings, we were just right on that cusp, you know? But mm -hmm. but we like got canceled like a 0.9, but then next year all the shows got like a 0.8 and a 0.7 and a 0.5. And now there's like network shows that have like, I don't know what the viewership number is oh, dude, but it's a like point nine point is, a, is a big 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 hit now yeah yeah and that was that was about seven eight years ago we got a point nine and um we sh we should have stayed on the air we would have uh we would have done great that's happened to me a bunch of times that that i was in a show that was the that people thought was the ratings were not good and what they were were the new normal before they were accepted as the new normal that's exactly the point i was trying to make that's so, exactly right 
we were right in the middle of the new normal for broadcast television. But they were like, oh, these are these are trending downwards. Guess what, folks? All the numbers are trending downwards. It's it's unbelievable. I mean, when Parks and Recreation was on, it was always a jump ball. And mm-hmm. do you remember if The Office had tremendous crazy ratings my sense of it was that it, it was it was a, a rating success but it wasn't like it was blowing the lid off the place no. just people just loved it it was just beloved but in we, terms of ratings i don't think it was a big yeah deal. it was a really interesting thing because for the first season we got terrible ratings and the first part of the second season was really really bad we were on the verge of cancellation uh for month after month after month and then very slowly in the second season we started creeping up the ratings roster and then all of a sudden we were nominated for an Emmy and then we were we were good to go at that point. But you're absolutely right. We were the number one comedy on NBC always. No offense to Parks and Rec. But, um, you know, when you looked at like the shows, we were like number 37 of like all the shows. But, they, you know, when they when they they also do a finer investigation of television numbers. Is this too inside baseball for no, your listenership? No, it is not. Okay. The... When they and when they do that, they realize like, oh, here's who's watching The Office: college kids and rich people. Yep. So mm-hmm. we became a very, very valuable audience to them. I mean, The West Wing had the um, that that was a broad uh, ratings hit too. But th- one of the things that they loved was not just the ratings, but they loved the socioeconomic breakdown, right? Yeah, of who was watching. I it's so funny to go back and look at that. Was it Wednesday nights? Officer Thursday nights. Thursday nights. And yep. it was, at one point, it was a community, Parks and Rec, Office 30 Rock. Yep, that's right. Mm-hmm. Dude, I mean. That's a solid lineup. Unbelievable. Well, it's, you know what it is? It's the lineup that made Netflix. I mean, when Netflix didn't have anything, it had those shows. It's so funny because a lot of people said years ago, hey, when the net, when Netflix loses The Office, what do mm-hmm. they really have? You know, what do they yeah. really have? And, and we're seeing the evidence of that now. It took a little while. It took a year and a half, two years for The Office to leave, but they don't have that back library and they don't have The Office and people are leaving in droves ultimately. So I'm doing a show for them. I thought you were on like 911 Lone Star. I am. Yeah. I'm on two shows at the same I'm I'm doing two shows. It's kind of unprecedented. That's nuts. But you're always you're such a workaholic. It was inspired by my son John Owens online trolling of me. And <laughs> it kind of became people it kind of became a thing that people reported on and there were segments on Seth Meyers and Ellen and Kimmel and Good Morning America and like people took notice and it kind of took on a life of its own and kind of got away from him. And in my social media, literally feed was like, I'm just here for John Owen. I'm just waiting for the son's comments. Like they could. So he and I were like, I wonder if there's people like this thing, whatever this thing is. I wonder if there's, if there's something here to mine. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we, we just thought and thought and came up with different ideas and different worlds and different story pitches. And what we settled on was the spirit of it is what people like. And it's the spirit of a, you know, a larger than life father who probably hasn't lived in reality, you know, since 1981 mm-hmm. and, you know, the world kind of sees him one particular way. And then the son knows what it's really like behind the curtain and is the only one who can sort of speak truth to power. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so that's the dynamic that we've built on. And and in it, I'm playing like a an Elon Musk sort of world famous, highly eccentric, maybe insane. Um, genius entrepreneur businessman and then mm-hmm. this, he's the son who's moved away from just can't get out of that shadow no matter how hard he tries mm-hmm. so he is a flutist or flautist <laughs> in new is your york son playing your son or is someone else it, playing your son he is playing he co-created it with me and a, a man named victor fresco who uh oh i remember victor fresco i've auditioned and not gotten into many of his shows over the years we could have had you audition and maybe gotten into this one i don't know i didn't get the call sorry rob all right well i'm gonna fix that it's fantastic 
One of my favorite shows, you're talking about Backstrom's canceled show. Mm -hmm. One of my favorites was The Grinder. Oh, thank you. I love that show. It was so funny. Thank you. It was so weird and funny and wonderful and dark and twisted (laughs) and surprising. Um, It was, that was a real failure to not keep that thing on the air. And right back at you, brother, because I think we were, it was around within the same couple of years on Fox. I mean, I would have loved to have seen Backstrom and the Grinder anchor and night. And I've missed having that kind of a character. And this is hopefully will capture, it feels like it, like we've table read all the scripts already and it feels mm. very like a companion piece. You never want to try to recreate something, obviously, mm-hmm. but you know what it's like when it feels, has the same feel. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. It's been fun watching my son. How you, you have, I have one son, 17. Yeah. Okay. So 17, he's, what is he a junior? He just finished his junior year. Yep. Now, so the junior year was it is insane for him and you as junior year in my kids' lives for many number, any number of reasons was like, it was a slog. It's like getting ready for college, taking the tests. Am I going to yeah. go to college, not go to college? You know, friends are partying. It was nuts. Yeah, it was a challenge. But, you know, first of all, it's a challenge raising a teenager under any circumstances. Yeah. Secondly, it's a challenge raising a teenager in contemporary society mm-hmm. with social media and, you know, this mental health crisis that is really out of control with young people. I, I asked my son, Walter, the other day, I was like, oh, how's your friend blank? He's like, oh, yeah, he's out of school because he attempted suicide and um, he is institutionalized. He's like, oh, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Didn't know that. But then you throw COVID into the mix on top of that and being a teenager in COVID land, which like this year was definitely rough, but he got very good grades and he pulled through. He did a good job and worked hard. Last year, he almost flunked out. On Zoom school. Um, Doesn't surprise me. How could anybody ask a teenager to sit on a screen? I mean, I can barely sit in class. For six or seven hours. Yeah. 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 And learn. It's one thing to be there. It's another thing to like deeply learn. Yep. Yeah. So, well, congratulations that he's gotten through it. Because, I mean, as you allude to, so many, so many don't. Yeah. Indeed. I have such empathy for when I hear, oh, my my son or daughter's a junior. I'm like, okay. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. We'll see what surprise a senior year has in store. You are such a specific, um, and that's the thing. Anything that I love is a specific, it has is a very specific tone, voice, thing. Do you know? I don't like anything that's general, like in okay. performance, in music, in art, and I think that you know not not many people occupy the place that you can occupy as a as a actor and ironically as much as we love that stuff the that's often the hardest thing to get people to see and hire early on mm, mm. and i'm curious what your knocking on the doors of show business was like yeah that's um that's a really interesting way into that question. And uh, I appreciate that. So I did theater in New York for like 10 years before I came to LA and tried my hand at TV and film. And I was so de- far down the rung of actors in New York uh, with tiny little kind of useless agents. I didn't even get an audition for Law and Order being in New York for 10 years. Not oh, even wait, wait, an, wait, wait. That is okay. audition. Not no, even I- an audition. Okay, for those of you who don't know, so Law and Order has seventeen shows, all yep. being shot in New York. They 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 have think of all the act. It's like it's a factory. I mean, like, like yep. It's the easy. Every, every episode has you know five or six guest stars and like seven or eight co stars. You need someone who's the deli owner or the yes. truck driver or the janitor or what have you. Yeah, yeah. Why? That's a bad agent. I tell you. What kind of auditions were you getting then? But here's the thing, because you're talking about a specific voice, and it's like, I was a weird-looking, here's how I define myself, a weird-looking leading man. I like that. Because, and people didn't know what to do with that. I wasn't like No, let me ask you a question. Why do you say leading man and not character actor? Because that, everybody goes, oh, 
character weird looking. Oh, that equals character actor, which of course we know it doesn't. But why? why how did you know that? Because I, I feel like um, character guy is like you have the big fat jolly guy who's like, hey, how's it going? And yeah. he's like the character guy and he plays the big fat jolly guy. Right. Now, I really am at heart a character guy, but like capable of playing lead roles in a way that like Paul Giamatti is capable of playing lead roles, yep. but looked a little offbeat, but not so, so weird that you couldn't say, oh, he's the jolly fat truck driver or, or right. he's the psycho killer or something like that. Um, so they just, people didn't know what to do with me. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just what you said. It's like um, they had no idea how to cast me. And they, because I did a lot of theater and I did Shakespeare and tours and whatnot that people just thought of me as a theater actor and they, they lacked the imagination to kind of go, Hey, what if this guy could play a role on a TV show and he's just plays an offbeat character, you know? Um, and it really wasn't until, so I had zero success in film and TV in New York came to LA and then by hook or by crook got in a few, kind of smarter casting directors offices and they were kind of able to see like, Oh, this guy has a thing that, um, we can, we can find uh, a place for him in the, in the great wide, wonderful world of the entertainment business. So that started, um, it was a long slog, but that started when I came to LA. So in a weird way, I have this kind of resentment against New York because New York is supposed to be, oh, it's so artistic and yeah. it's, it's the land of theater people and they're doing strange and interesting things. And oh, now they're doing performance art and now he's in a film and now he's on Broadway and now, but it was very, very limiting to me. Whereas in LA, people were like, oh my God, this guy could play drama. This could do comedy. He could play a psycho killer. He could play a, a nerdy paper salesman. He could be, you know, in films. Uh, he could be in Six Feet Under, uh, play a mortician. Like they, 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 they were able to kind of see me in an, in an imaginative way. So that specific voice that you're talking about, uh, right away, as soon as things started, especially around Six Feet Under, but even a little before that, people were the people in the industry got very excited. They knew. And my manager at the time, this guy, Mark Schulman, we don't work together anymore, but he was such an amazing manager. He believed in me. I had zero credits, Rob, zero, 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 zero credits, not even an audition for Law and & Order. And um, and he was like, you're going to be lead, lead actor. You're going to be on TV shows. You're going to have your own TV show. And he saw that vision. And I was like, what are you talking about? Because he was able to see that that voice thing that you're talking about. Yeah, it's... It is amazing how important someone with vision is. And, you know, the stories of casting directors, as you say, smart ones, seeing somebody and not and, and seeing what other people are just missing. Yeah. Where else can you go surfing and skiing in the same day or check out a world class art museum and camp out under a brilliant night sky, same day, or hike through the redwoods and get a luxury spa treatment. There's only one answer, California. No matter where you go across this state, you will find a way to play. I, look, I love California, um, and I have not yet surfed and skied in the same day, although I do do both. So that is on my bucket list. It's the most beautiful place in the world. Discover why California is the ultimate playground. Head to visitcalifornia.com to start planning your trip today. So I came home to a little gift in my bathroom the other day from our friends at Harry's. To get what you want, you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. You know who challenged the status quo? Harry's. They saw customers getting ripped off by questionable products in the shaving industry and decided they had something better to offer. So instead of charging the same old ridiculous prices, Harry's found a way to make their beautifully designed razors, and they are beautiful, for a fraction of the price of the other big brands. Exceptional products, honest prices. That's Harry's. They have the highest customer satisfaction in shaving history and a no-risk trial. Don't like your shave? No worries. It's on them. Convenient subscription options that you can cancel at any time. And Harry's also has other self-care products that meet the same quality standards as their razors. Richly lathering, 
skin softening body wash and scents like redwood, wildland, and stone, and an extra high quality, amazing smelling deodorant for just five bucks. I love their stuff. I'm so impressed by Harry's products. All of it. It's all good. Don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash rob. That's harrys.com slash rob for a $3 trial set. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you've been listening to Literally long enough, you'll know that I am a big believer in getting the help you need. Therapy has been a big, big, big part of my life and something I think we should be all doing as needed, just like checking the oil on your car. I've spoken about this and we all carry around different stressors, big and small. We keep them bottled in and it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to get the things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist. And switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Rob Lowe today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Rob Lowe. New York theater. What did you enjoy, not enjoy? Like, were you a big Chekhov guy? Did you did you like to do the bard or did you do more Sam Shepard more? Like, what was your vibe? Did you, did you play the Guthrie? Did you play around the country? I did. Oh, I trod the boards, Rob. I trod the boards, indeed. Yes. Um, uh, I did a little Broadway. I did a little off-Broadway. I did the Guthrie, the arena stage. I did a lot of regional theater. I did some tours. I did a Broadway tour. Um, and uh, I guess what I really loved about it, and it's something that I still love to this day, is my training at NYU as a theater actor um, was to be a repertory theater actor, to be, hey, tonight you're doing a Stephen Sondheim musical, and tomorrow night you're going to do a Bertrand Brecht play, and then the next night you're going to do a weird movement performance-based thing, then you're going to do Chekhov, then you're going to do Shakespeare, and then you're going to do a farce. And you got to be ready to go into all of those different kind of styles of acting. And I and I love that idea of the actor as someone who transforms um, into characters, uh, depending on the needs of the play. Um, it's like, who am I this time? Do you know, that whole, that whole thing. So, and I still, I still really enjoy doing that as an actor. And, you know, it's been an interesting challenge after, um, the office because I'm so well known for one iconic role. Um, but I'm really happy and proud of the stuff that I've gotten to do since then. I've done cool indie films, a zombie film, a horror film, a, you know, a big blockbuster, yep. you know, shark film, The Meg. and Dude, The Meg Star is Trek. legendary. I mean, not a day goes by where my sons and I don't talk about The Meg. I'm not I'm not being a dick. It's absolutely the truth. The Meg is <laughs> one of the great titles of all time. Come on. Um, I'm not sure if I believe you or not. But, it's true. I'm telling you. But, but I'm not trying to brag about my career, but I am saying that that – the thing I was trained in to transform into very different characters um, is something that I get to do in my career, um, which is a great segue. I don't know if you've, I'm doing this too early. No, to, no to, so I was about to go ahead. Cause I was just to, about to ask to you about Bill in Jerry and Marge go large. Yes, I'm, ex- I'm, I'm obsessed with hearing about this project. <laughs> um, so yeah, Jerry and Marge go large. It's coming out on Paramount plus. I'm really excited about this film. Brian Cranston, Annette Benning. It's based on a real story about a couple in Michigan that figured out that with this certain lottery game, if you played it in the right way and enough, you would actually make money. You were guaranteed to make money from it. Wow. True story. And they won millions of dollars, but they also brought in their friends and their family and people in their town, which helped revitalize their town in Michigan. And this is one of those rare movies that Hollywood doesn't really do anymore that it used to do so masterfully, like in a Frank Capra way, mm-hmm. of like regular Americans, good hearted people, small town Americans getting along, doing 
good people doing good deeds for other good people. And I really, it's very warm hearted. It's uplifting, but it's not treacly. It's very funny. And I play kind of the comic relief, uh, Bill, the slovenly um, owner of a liquor store where they buy all their lottery tickets. And he, he goes in on it with them and is taken along on the journey. And uh, it was just a buttload of fun. Tell me about Annette Benning. Annette Benning is one of those rare, like she's iconic. Like yeah. to me, she's like a contemporary Faye Dunaway. Yes. Like radiant beauty, interesting, magnetic. And as I was, I never get starstruck working with actors, but I was working with Annette Benning. I was like, I just kept thinking like, wow, I'm acting with Annette Benning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> cool. I mean, I loved Valmont. I loved uh, The Grifters, Bugsy, mm-hmm. so many amazing uh, stuff that she's done over the years. And um, uh, she is just so lovely and sweet and kind and um, cannot say enough good things about her. Well, Cranston is just a breathtaking actor. I mean, the fact that, I mean, that he's had to talk about, he's had two iconic characters, like, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. both of which you think you would never recover from. Mm-hmm. And his book, have you read his book, by the way? I didn't. I, I, I've heard great things about it. Oh, you have to. Some great stories, right? Oh, it's the best. His, I mean, it, it truly is a, a great book. If you're interested in him, obviously, or any Breaking Bad or any of his work, but the process of acting, his, I mean, he very much goes into his philosophy of acting, which is always oh. really brave, I think, when actors oh, are, are vulnerable enough to share their actual process and not mm. shroud it in generalities because it's a very personal thing. And mm. it's also super mm. easy to make fun of. So, right. Um, it's great. Cranston book is great, and he's also, as you as you know, one of the nicest men you'll ever. It is that is very true. Did you read the uh, the Wilson book, the Rain Wilson? Um, yeah, the the Bassoon King. Of course, I did. How did you find writing? Do you do you have any interest in doing multiple books? Yeah, well, here's the thing. By the way, the Bassoon King is one of the great is a great title. I have to say. Yeah. Very evocative. Uh, thanks. Yeah. Um, although I think you know it's sold okay. You know, just to be a little insidery baseball, like mm-hmm. it sold fine. Mm-hmm. Um, it was not like a runaway bestseller. I didn't really expect it to be, you know, people aren't lining up to buy a book. But I kind of felt like I've been thinking recently, like, I wonder what would have happened if I would have made it more Dwight specific just to sell some fucking copies. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if I called it the Bear King, yes. you know, or yes. the the Bear Lover or, you know. This beats everything, beats B-E-T, something, some Dwightish pawn or tip of the hat. Like, yes. even if it wasn't really about that at all. Well, that's what it's I like, did with this podcast, literally, is a tip of the hat to Parks and Rec and Chris Traeger. That's, a, that's nice. why it's called literally. Well, the, the interesting thing about the Bassoon King is I wanted to write, um, I had a story to, t- I, I, there's some office chapters and office tidbits and behind the scenes stuff, but that's a very small portion of the book. That's like one tenth of the book. Right. But I, I uh, have, you know, a kind of a life story that I thought had some interesting aspects to it. And especially in terms of my, my spiritual journey of growing up a member of the Baha'i faith and then leaving religion. And Explain to me quickly the Baha'i faith. Give me a, a, a primer. Sure. It's um, Baha'i. There's about six million Baha'is in the world. Um, it's the most recent of the world religions. Baha'is believe in the sacredness and sanctity of all the world's religions. We, as Baha'is, actively read the Bible, the Quran, the Bhagavad Gita, the writings of the Buddha, you name it. Baha'is also believe that there is a new uh, prophet or messenger or manifestation of God um, who came in the 19th century in in Persia, in the Middle East, whose name was Baha'u'llah, and that name means the glory of God, and this great spiritual teacher, Baha'is believe, has uh, spiritual lessons that humanity needs for today, for right now, that they're very relevant to the modern world. And Baha'is, so we worship God um, and try and do service and try and be good people. That's basically it. Um, and you have a podcast about this. I do. I have several podcasts, and one of them is a strictly Baha'i podcast for, uh, it's called the Baha'i Blogcast. And it's kind of 
about Baha'is, for Baha'is, but you know, we have a large listenership that aren't aren't Baha'is at all. But just some really interesting Baha'is that are thinking, feeling, and doing um interesting spiritual things. So, anyways, there's a spiritual journey aspect to my book that was I knew it was going to be a little hard for some people to swallow because they want to read like, oh, I want to read a celebrity bio. I want to read about stories, behind the scenes stories and whatnot. I don't really want to hear about God and a loss of faith and rekindling faith and whatnot. So um, I knew it also needed to be really damn funny. So I tried to make it as funny as possible along the way to kind of like make a little uh, sugar to help the medicine go down. But exactly. um, But actually, um, Rob, I am, since you mentioned it, I'm, I'm working on this. I'm working on one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life, which I'm writing a book on spirituality. Wow. So yeah, it's, it's straight up. It's funny, but it's really just about what's prompted this. Hang on. I gotta, I gotta lead you through this. There's so much I want to unpack. What at this point in your life prompted you to write, to tackle such a grand topic? Because I think the world needs it. I think the world needs this message, you know, in all of this time of partisanship and bickering and disunity and, um, and the stakes are growing higher and higher. Um, there's great and greater and greater discord, uh, in government. The systems are breaking down right and left. The whole thesis of the book is that we need a spiritual solution to the problems of the world. And this is both on an individual level and it's also on a societal level. We need to, there is great um, and lasting wisdom in the spiritual traditions of the world, in surrender, in serenity, in service, in transcendence, in sacredness, in the golden rule, which exists in every single religion of the world, but yet so few people live by it. Everyone (laughs) touts it. But very, very few people live by it. So the book is called Soul Boom, Why We Need a Spiritual Revolution. And it's really that second part. It's like, I feel like humanity needs a spiritual revolution. The way that we do everything, I shouldn't be promoting my book. It doesn't come out till April or May of next year. But um, these are evergreens. These stay forever. So this this is great to talk about it. um, We need a spiritual revolution. The way that humans do things right now on this planet, and I think you're in a large agreement on this, is really fucked up. It's For really sure. based in self-interest, competition, one-upsmanship, power plays, um, consumer kind of gross consumerism of just um, uh, profligate buying and using of resources. Um, the earth, we're disconnected from nature, from earth. Um, and, uh, just chewing it up and spitting it out, uh, treating each other terribly. And foundationally, we need to really rethink how we do everything, both again, like on an individual level and on a global level. So I, I'm hoping this little book just kicks a few people in the butt and opens a few eyes and makes a little bit of a difference trying to urge us all in a, in a different direction. It sounds amazing. Are you done with it already? I'm about three quarters done. Will you yeah. know when you're done or do you have, do you know what you're writing to? Yeah, I, I, I need to, I have to finish this one chapter, which I think will be pretty easy. It could be a couple of weeks. But then I have to write the final chapter, which is really hard, which is like tying hardest, it all together hardest, and making it all land and sticking the landing. And, and that's going to be a bear. And then I need to see if I need another chapter in it or not. So Um, but yeah, I, I have a lot of, I have a lot of, I use the notes app on my phone, you know, that notes Mm -hmm. app. And, um, so I just, I get ideas or I read things or get sentences and I just, I just create this document. I mean, it's, it's like 120 pages of just notes and ideas around this, this topic, or I'll read a quote online by someone, um, and put it in the, uh, put it in the notes app. Do you collect great quotes? I do. Yeah, me too. I do. And I, I write them down on here. In fact, I just wrote a couple down the other day. Um, Ooh, want to share a couple? Um, add, add, leave it to Beaver in the section about Eisenhower and the Vietnam War. Okay. That makes That's perfect sense it. to me. Okay. That makes sense. Um, 
Here, David Chalmers, who's the premier researcher on consciousness. Why should physical processing give rise to such a rich inner life at all? It seems objectively unreasonable that it should, and yet it does. So I have a whole section on consciousness. Um, here's a Mary Oliver poem. I have refused to live locked in the orderly house of reasons and proofs. The world I live in and believe in is wider than that. And anyway, what's wrong with maybe? You wouldn't believe what once or twice I have seen. I'll just tell you this. Only if there are angels in your head will you ever possibly see one. Oh, I like that. See, because I'm not as evolved as you. You're really not. My the shit that I collect is the one. There's the one I wrote down the other day. You're like Ty Cobb. <laughs> yes, Ty Cobb. It ain't bragging if you've done it. My mind is, an, I don't know who said it, but it's anonymous and made me laugh. Is addicts fuck it up at the finish line. Ah, nice. So nice. good. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, yeah. he had everything to live for. They were on yeah. top of the world. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I just don't understand. Mm -hmm. Addicts. Fuck it up at the finish line. Yeah, I love all that stuff. I, I, I'm a huge quote freak. And then plus, if you put them in a book, it makes you look really smart. But yes, all you did was like find a fun quote online and put it in the book. And people were like, wow, he must have read everything by that author. You're like, no, I just I just read sexy quotes. Hey, listeners, ever have trouble getting someone on the phone when you have a question about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person any time, day, or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The weather is getting warmer. It's time to ditch the jackets and sweaters for shorts and tees. But there's no need to waste money on clothes that only last one season with Quince. Now you can get high quality pieces that never go out of style. You'll be wearing year after year. Quince has all the seasonal must-haves like 100% European linen shirts for $30, performance polos, and versatile flow-knit activewear. The best part? All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering with the top factories, Quince cuts out the middleman and passes the savings directly onto you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, along with premium fabrics and finishes. My producer recently made an order for Quince, and here's what he had to say. I'm really excited to revamp my closet with Quince. I cannot wait for my items to arrive from Quince. You know, I'm a sweater guy. I was looking at that burgundy cashmere crew neck. I love the blue chore jacket. Maybe I'll throw some joggers in there. So upgrade your wardrobe. Go to quince.com slash rob for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Rob to get free shipping and 360 day returns. Quince dot com slash Rob. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network. So whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Do you have any James Spader stories? <laughs> that is hysterical. James Spader for those listeners that don't know, had a, uh, a a limited run on The Office of about a season. Maybe it was one season. Um, and it just, God bless him, such a brilliant actor. Brilliant. So brilliant. I've been watching him. I remember seeing Sex, Lies, and Videotape mm. when I was in college. And I, 
I couldn't believe that you could do that as in as an actor. I didn't know that that was possible. Yep. To be that present and still, and um, so it's a revolutionary performance. For those of you out here, if you have, if you never saw or haven't seen Sex Lies and Videotape in a long time, go back and look at it. It's, yeah. I mean, it created the modern independent film movement, and for good reason. Yeah, Steven Soderbergh, and he played Robert California on The Office. And, By the way, um, greatest name ever, Robert California. Such I, a good name. Beyond, beyond belief. It just didn't. It didn't work. It didn't no. ultimately work. It, but it was he didn't genius. really. He didn't fit in. Uh, he had a wonderful presence. I think there were some great episodes and some great moments that he was in. I mean, he does he does mysterious creepy kind of better than anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, I do pretty good mysterious. Creepy. I know. I, I'd like to see you guys in the Battle of the Network Stars, and instead of the dunk tank, it would yeah. be mysterious creepy competition. He would he would beat me every time. I mean, I'm good, but he's he's the master. He's the master. I doff I doff my Kangol hat to him. He's got that famous you know, Jeff meme, whatever, where he's like, I'm the fucking lizard king. That, that speech. Yeah. From the office. It's that was so, great. That was great. That party at his house when he had that swimming pool was really, was really a great episode, but it didn't really work because also like James, the way that he works, he works in a very particular way. That's very specific. He's not an improviser. You know, Steve Carell is all about, uh, he's all about second city. He's all about like, being nimble in the moment and uh, you could throw anything at Steve. You could just in the middle of a scene, you could kind of say, I've got a polar bear in my butt. And he would just be like, he would just take it in completely, not the polar bear, but Mm -hmm. the line and just run with it. But James would get thrown off. It didn't fit into the way he worked as an actor, which I think is important in casting that you have to, you have to also cast for the world. Yes. Well, that's the, the, one of the things I learned observing Mike Schur, who um, was one of the head writers on The Office, along with Greg Daniels, when he did Parks and Rec. And and I've tried to do in, in, in putting together this new show is find actors who, that they may not even, like find the actors and then build the characters around them and make sure you have actors who can play like that. Because mm. I think it's super important in comedy to be able to do what we used to call in our show, the fun runs. I don't know if you guys did them on Sure. On the office where you would yep. shoot the scene, but then you would just do a fun room and like say whatever the hell you wanted and see where it, where it went. Yeah, we, we did more fun runs than regular takes on the office. I was going to ask you what the ratio was, like how, how much respect did you pay, pay the actual script on any given day? Well, Greg Daniels and Mike Schur, um had a philosophy, which was like, these writers have worked really hard on these scripts and we should make sure that we get all their lines. And, um, so we made sure that we had it as scripted and, but as soon as we did, and that could have been the second or third take, then we start making it our own. So probably what you see on the screen is a quarter improvised. Um, and then, you know, Greg also had another theory, which is like the show is made in the editing room. So whatever's funniest wins. So it's not whatever's scripted wins. It's whatever's funniest. So, at the end of the day, it's like, here's a scripted line. Here's an improvised line. Here's a scripted blow to the scene here, or right. here's an improvised blow to the scene. And he would bring people in the caterer, the accountants, people would bring their relatives by the set. Hey, watch this. Which of these is funnier <laughs> and funny wins. And the, the, and the episodes are made in the editing room. And that's why, you know, um, Dean who worked on your show and, um, and Dave who, who worked on ours and Claire, like the editors really are the unsung heroes of both Parks and Rec and The Office. Dean Holland was kind enough to show up on our Parks and Recollection podcast um, that I do with Alan Yang. And yes. he's he's just one of my favorites. Just just a, a, a absolute genius. Would um would you have any qualms about doing a reunion like we did for the West Wing? One time only, staged reading, anything for the office? I would love to figure out to, uh, some way to do some office stuff that's not a reboot. I don't think anyone's really that interested in that. Um, also, we're so much older. Like, everyone is, all people are going to see when they see it is like, God, they're, they got old. They've yeah. aged. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know? That's definitely a thing. Um, sure. And 
uh, and it's not going to be as funny. So, oh, this isn't as funny. And God, they're old. That's all the people are going to say. So maybe that's the title. Oh, that's good. But I do think like there was a script that I found that we uh, wrote for season one and never shot called Pet Day. And it was people bringing their pets to work and it never got greenlit, but it's the only extant office script that never got shot. And um, I would love to do a reading of pet day. Yes. Do a live stream, charge people 10 bucks to come listen to the original cast, read pet day and give the money to charity. Well, that's why is that not already happening? I don't know. There's, there's been some resistance. Who? I want names. It's NBC and who has the rights to the script. And what about the writer who wrote the script? And it's such a great idea. Yeah. I want to hear your James Spader story. I told mine. I did a movie called Bad Influence with Spader and the late, great Curtis Hansen. And um, I just, I have a great picture in my. With Christopher. Christian Clemenson. Christian Clemenson. Yes. An amazing actor. He is so underrated and under touted and undervalued. He's amazing. He was great in that. You were great. I like that film, but he was amazing in that. Thank you. I, he was great. It's I love I love that movie. I'm, I'm, it's one of the ones of mine that I can stomach. Um, he's it was way ahead of its time. That movie, um, bad influence. If you haven't seen it, um, and by the way, written by David Kep. It was like David Kep's second script, and David Kep oh, went wow. on to be one of the most lauded film. Uh, writers uh, we've ever had. Um, but I have, somewhere I have a picture that is one of my f- most prized pictures. It's me and Spader and Curtis Hansen on the set. And it's so clear what's going on and it's what happened every day where you would show up, you got your, you know, your, your sides of what you're going to be working on in the day. And the crew isn't really even there. It's the director and the actors and you're going to, you're sort of putting the scene on its feet and trying to find it and it's us looking at Jimmy and Jimmy talking mm-hmm. and talking and talking <laughs> and talking. And, and it's, and he's so fascinating and he has such amazing, unique ideas that you're just enthralled, but it goes on mm. forever. And mm. it, that I have a, a snapshot of, of those moments and I just love it. There's no one, no one like him. He's a true He's just one of those people when I see him, which is so rare now, I just like makes my heart so happy because he's one of a kind like you. It's like I like people who are. You're, no one's ever going to confuse you with anybody else or Spader with anybody else. I, however, get confused with John Stamos. So what does that tell you about me? <laughs> That's good. That is good. I get a little sometimes Nick Offerman, maybe I get a little Ooh, confused. I'm Vincent D'Onofrio. Oh, Vincent yes. D'Onofrio. Okay, let's fucking go. I get I've it. I've gotten that. Like I like well, that. I like it when people come up and like, Men in Black. You're great in Men in Black. Oh, like, I wasn't in Men in Black. Oh yeah, you're great. Oh, uh, you're great. Oh, that's really, really good. I like yeah. that. Yeah, I get um I've gotten Billy Crude up in the early years. Mm-hmm. Tom Cruise, which I don't get. I mean, we have kind of similar energy. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Would you fly an airplane for a movie or shoot a movie in outer space? Yes. In two seconds. Wow. See, I wouldn't, I saw Top Gun and I was like, what? This is, I would never, first of all, I would never fly in a plane being flown by Tom Cruise or any actor. That, that would be a problem for me. Like she's in the back of the plane and he's flying her around. I was like, Geez, in an antique plane? Like, no. He, he had that plane when I knew him in the eighties. He used to, we would Emilio Estevez and I would be with our Corona beers with limes in them playing beach volleyball and the, the old brick cell phone with a battery. Right. We would have out would ring and it would be Tom going, I'm in the air. I'm going to be flying by in about three minutes. And he would just come barrel rolling in his fighter jet. That's nuts. Back in the, back in, that's how long ago he's been. Even if he's been flying that long, I would not. It's a lot of hours at the end of the day. Yeah, just not with an actor. I'm sorry. But then here's the thing is, is it really, is that plane really going to go down with Tom Cruise and Rain Wilson in it? Is it really? I don't think yes. it is. That would be a great way to go. I'm in my mid fifties already. I can, I can, yeah, maybe I've changed my mind. That Cause yeah, I could do that. I'd be like James Dean. The reason I'm here is because I love talking to you, Rob. Yes. I'm a big fan. Thank I you, hope sir. we get to work together as I know. actors someday. That never happened. 
I know, but I'm gonna if if this Netflix thing has another life, I'm gonna write. We're gonna write something specifically. Call me. Yeah, you got my number. What a great, interesting dude, right? I'm see. This is one of the things I love about you know doing the show is there's no one like him, and his interests and the way he talks and how thoughtful he is and you know he's kind of intense and great he's just he's he's great and um i'm glad you got to i help i I was able to help reveal that side of him that you're not going to probably see many other places all right just one more thing before we end today's episode let's check the lowdown line hello you've reached literally in our lowdown line where you can get the lowdown on all things about me, Rob Lowe, 323-570-4551. So have at it. Here's the beep. Hi, this is uh, Gilbert from L.A. Um, love the podcast. Love it. Um, my question to you is, what is the one comedy that you can put on over and over and still get a good laugh out of. You know what's going to happen, but you still put it on, and you know that you're going to get a huge belly laugh. Hey, Gilbert. Um, Boy, what a good question. I mean, I think Caddyshack probably is, for sure, Blazing Saddles would be another one. I know there are a lot of great, more contemporary comedies. Um, Super Bad um, would come to mind. Um, I think it's the comedies you see in your formative years. Like the music you hear in your formative years, they become the ones that you return to and return to. And as good as some comedies have been since Caddyshack and Blazing Saddles, they're never going to occupy that place in my consciousness that those did when I saw them for the first time. And there's stuff in those movies that are just... Unbelievable. I would say the other one, though, would be Borat. So Borat, Caddyshack, Blazing Saddles. Don't forget to join us next week. And please don't forget five-star reviews if you're so inclined. I'm not begging, but I would love a five-star if you could see your way through. And in the meantime, I will see you next week on Literally. You've been listening to Literally with Rob Lowe, produced by me, Rob Schulte, with help from associate producer Sarah Begar. Our coordinating producer is Lisa Berm. Our research is done by Alyssa Grawl. The podcast is executive produced by Rob Lowe for Low Profile, Adam Sachs, Jeff Ross, and Joanna Solitaroff at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson at Stitcher. All of the music you hear is by Devin Bryant. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Literally with Rob Lowe. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Stitcher. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at tmobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com.